Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we speak to Juma Scotia from the company Education Support. We discuss topics such as the mental health and well-being of teaching staff and how to avoid burnout. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. My name's Georgia, I'm the content manager at the Safeguarding Company. Really excited today to be joined by Gemma Scotcher from Education Support. Hello Gemma. Hi welcome. there, thanks for having me. No worries. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit of background on Education Support? Yeah, sure. So I am um, Director of Communications and Public Affairs at Education Support, and we are the UK's uh, only charity dedicated to the mental health and well-being of teachers and all education staff. So whether you're a teaching assistant or support staff, HR, business manager, etc., you know, we're here for everyone that works in education to support them with their mental health and uh, well-being. Perfect. So... Why do you think there's such a need for us to be supporting the mental health and well-being of teaching staff at the moment? Oh, I mean, it's really, really vital um, that teachers are able to show up every day as their best and most healthy selves in order to support the kids, really. I think um, it does... It's important in and of itself, Um, anyone in the workplace is obviously going to do a better job if they're feeling well. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I think the thing to remember about um, teaching is that, you know, they're there to um, engage, guide, inspire, teach uh, the future generation. And that's a really, really important job, isn't it? If you bit think of a stressful of, one as well. Of, yeah, lots of, lots of expectations Lots of responsibility. Uh, exactly. Moulding the young minds of the future. That, that's it, moulding the young minds of the future. I love that. And um, I think it's particularly important now. Obviously, we've been through a global pandemic, haven't we? And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the lost generation of kids, etc. And, you know, that all feels a little bit... Um, a little bit depressing to me, really. And I sort of worry about the impact of uh, that narrative Mm. on children who are hearing it. Um, So really, you know, our our priority is always just get the teachers well. Um, They're they're so dedicated. They're so guided by purpose, often, people in the education sector. And that's really infectious, isn't it? And Mm. I think that's exactly the kind of energy that we need right now to... um, you know, try and counter this uh, doom and gloom narrative and get kids inspired and learning and thinking that, you know, ultimately their future has hope within it. Yeah. So do you think that, like like you said, this lost generation idea that's happened since the pandemic, is that putting more pressure on teachers and teaching staff to then support the children more? I think there's so many things that are putting added pressure on. Um we know that the government's priority is education recovery. And it's a, it's a good, important and noble idea. Um, but for us, um, teacher mental health has to be at the heart of that. Yeah. Um, because if you're saying to, to the education workforce, um, you've got to get through this pandemic and you've got to make sure that the kids are all right. And you've got to catch them all up. You've got to work harder yeah. for that two years that they've missed out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got to work harder. The stakes are higher. Yeah. Um, and that is a lot of pressure. And that's a lot of just practical added stuff. 
um, and teachers and education staff all have to be well enough to show up and do that. And when I say show up, I don't just mean physically be in the room, right? Mm. Um, because think about any job, you can turn up to your work and feel like you're just scraping by, like you're, you know, really just struggling to turn up. Anyone who's doing that is not doing the very best possible job that they can do. We always say nobody does their best job when they're emotionally depleted. Yeah. And so for us, it's about not just having teachers show up physically, but it's enabling them to be well enough to show up emotionally. Um, all of the evidence points to the fact that good learning happens when the learners feel calm, relaxed, safe, um, and they're connecting with the people in the room with them. They're certainly not um, doing their best learning if they're worrying about the emotional state of the person who's teaching them, treading on eggshells, thinking about, oh, are they, are they stressed out? Are they yeah. going to shout at me? Or, you know, um, there's an element of just needing them to feel calm and safe. And um, the the mental well-being of the teacher certainly fe feeds into that, yeah. creating that environment. I guess as well when you're teaching, you have to give like 100% energy, don't you? Because the kids won't be able to match that if you're feeling low and you're not really engaging with them they won't really engage with the teacher will they yeah there's a huge part about the you know how, how able are you to step into um being inspiring and yeah. exciting and engaging that's another thing that requires energy do you think the workload is something else that teachers also struggle with because it's not really a nine-to-five job as a like the planning and the prep oh it's, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so the government um, released its school's white paper and it talked a little bit about um, extending the school work day, um, extending it above the 32.5 hours. For teachers? Yeah, okay. so just for schools being open. So schools okay. are open and teaching these 32.5 hours, which I think is 9am um, till 3.30 or something every day. Um, but funnily enough, we were running some focus groups last night with uh, middle leaders and talking to them about how they were doing and their current experiences. And one of the teachers in the room, he was um, a head of business studies, I think, said, well, show me any teacher who's working 32.5 <laughs> hours. I'd love to meet them because um, I've, I've never seen it. So yeah, workload is, is definitely a thing. Um, when you look at um, the timeline of sort of education supports existence and the reasons that people have been getting in touch with us, it's really from the 1970s onwards that workload became the thing that a lot okay. of teachers are talking to us about. It's a long time um, for that to still be a problem. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, there's a few nuances I just want to weave into that. And yep. um, I guess the first thing is no teacher ever has complained about working hard and being with the kids. Of course. You know, that's... Um, they love it. They're, they're, they're there for the kids well, nine times Teaching is a passion, isn't it? Absolutely. Like people don't just become teachers for no reason. It's because they're yeah. passionate about helping children learn. Absolutely. It's, the, it's that real calling. And so when I talk about workload, you know, it's definitely... Uh, there, there have been some unhelpful narratives in the media. And I, I always feel compelled to stress mm. that point. Um, but there are a lot of elements to the job that are perceived as taking... Um, the teachers away from the kids and, and eating up their time. But I think also with the pandemic, we've seen the, um, the profession really accelerate its technical technological capabilities, probably about 
you know, 15 years advancement happened in about six months. You know? <laughs> it's all digital now. There's uh, and, and on top of that, there are a lot of like homework platforms and things where the kids can upload and then the teacher will get a notification when the kids have uploaded, stuff like that. People are just naturally more in touch via email more, particularly, you know, during lockdowns. Um, they weren't able to meet up in staff rooms and have conversations with colleagues in the same way. So they got into more of a habit of sort of pinging an email, mm. all that kind of thing. So a lot of changes happen quite quickly. And where that's left teachers, I think, is a sense of um, not really having any downtime. Yeah, because they're so accessible now and any parent can just get hold of them so quickly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, they're always on. And so, you know, they might be sat there in, of an evening doing whatever they're doing after tea and ping, um, you know, uh, students uploaded an essay and the temptations to look at it. Of course, yeah. There's much more of an expectation that emails are responded to immediately. So I think the workload issue has um, it is is continuing to evolve and continuing to be something. Because then it increases as well, yeah. Yeah, and um, perhaps something that we, you know, could all benefit from thinking about as a society, uh, but particularly in terms of the impact on our educators, I think. Okay, wonderful. You mentioned before about education support when it was founded. Can you tell me a little bit about the journey you guys have been on since since the company was founded, oh, I guess, since yeah. charity? It's been a long road. Yeah. Uh, we're 145 <laughs> years old, which people don't wow. realise. <laughs> yeah, we're really, really old. And um, we started as a teacher's benevolent fund mm -hmm. and then quickly uh, opened up orphanages as well and set up an orphan fund. And it was uh, what was then referred to as um, consumption, which we now know as tuberculosis, which was yeah. one of the main reasons that um, the charity was established, was to su support teachers who were unable to work due to consumption and then supporting any orphans as well okay. um so it's been a, re a real uh, real long road and then um i think it, as i said in the 70s we saw a shift i think prior to that teachers were getting in touch with us due to what was called nervous breakdown and things which is like now recognized just as burnout doesn't <laughs> it <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's certainly one of its uh, manifestations i think now and um and then in the 70s it became much more about workload and stress um stress as we yeah. call it now for example um and then in 1999 was when we established our helpline which is still uh, up and running and available and i'll definitely give a nice plug to it there's the definitely a question i've got lined <laughs> up <laughs> um yeah and then i think over the last sort of 15 years we've had different brand names different arms you know we had an arm that focused on higher education and then we all came together and all of the various elements of our company came together as one and we're now education support perfect mm. so yeah let's mm. talk about the helpline mm. so from my understanding 24 7 yes. just available anytime 24 7 365 days a year you can call it's for Absolutely anyone that works in education and even people who have retired from the sector. Um, okay, and what it provides is in the moment emotional support. Mm -hmm. 
if you ring it, you will speak to a qualified counsellor. And I think that's one of the oh, things amazing. that yeah, makes yeah. it really special, actually. There are a lot of amazing helplines out there that um, do slightly different work with volunteers, etc. But ours is very specific in that you will speak to a qualified mental health professional and, um, you know, get the support you need. People call for all kinds of reasons. It could be... Um, you know, that they are facing a very real mental health crisis. Um, we have probably about two people a day who call up who are assessed as at risk of suicide. Two a day? Yeah, it's it's big. That's um, insane. Yes, exactly. And so it's amazing that they can speak to qualified professionals. Yeah. Um, but I would also say that in terms of how the helpline can help those in the workforce... You don't have to wait to call t- till you're in a crisis, you know? If you it's just. It's like that prevention, isn't it? Yeah. It's like taking care of yourself before you reach this crisis level. Absolutely. You can call um, if you just need to vent about your day. You know, I think the other thing about the service is our um, counselors, they know what sector the callers are in. They understand the challenges that are experienced by people working in education. So if you just need that kind of supportive ear from someone who gets it, then give it a call, whether you're, um, you know, preventing a crisis or you're in crisis. Wonderful. So as well as the helpline, what other things does education support offer to teachers and teaching staff? We offer a range of services. So we've got our helpline, which is amazing. Um, We have a grant service. So that is for uh, teachers and education staff who are having short-term financial difficulties. We um, issue small to medium-sized grants um, that obviously don't get paid back. Um, I'm trying to think, what have we given people money for recently? Things like maybe rent arrears or... Um, making changes to your home if you have maybe a disabled dependent who needs some specific requirements and it's expensive. I'm Um, guessing you would have had a few during the lockdown where people were furloughed and maybe not getting paid at all. Well, that was a really busy time for supporting supply teachers because obviously they were not entitled to furlough in the same way as contracted staff. Yeah. And now what we're seeing is um, an increase in people getting in touch about their energy bills. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> not a surprise, no, unfortunately. Definitely yeah. not. Couldn't yeah. believe that. So we do it, it's interesting with the grants and with the helpline, we do tend to sort of see the trends of what's happening in the outside world played out in those services. Um we also have some brilliant services for senior leaders. Senior leaders are probably the most at risk of burnout. Mm. Um out of out of the education sector they are more likely to work incredibly long hours have a poor work-life balance and you know most at risk of symptoms like insomnia things like that is that just because Um, of the um added workload i think it's the balancing of the various expectations from every direction the sense of responsibility that i think is common throughout everybody in education actually but particularly becomes um particularly has an impact when you're in a position of leadership. Um, And I think that um, I'm going to have a bit of a tangent now, I think. It's all right. Uh, (laughs) Love a tangent. Yeah. (laughs) I think that the risk of burnout is real because teaching is a giving profession and 
I think that teachers are particularly uniquely disposed to keep giving, not check in with themselves about the cost, the personal cost of that consistent giving. Yes. And actually, I think what education support is here to say <laughs> is check in with yourself about how much you are giving because if you keep on giving to the point where you have nothing left to give you're good for nothing and for no one and if you really are passionate about you know the role and the impact that you have um it's a really important act to stay well um of course yeah. it's really really important because um the impact that you can have if you're well is so much greater it's kind of like yeah. a sleep bank, isn't it? You have to have like a certain amount of hours banked every night for your sleep, for you to function well. And people sometimes realise if their bank empties, they're not getting enough energy, they're not mm. feeling as good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're also in a society at the moment, aren't we, where we really romanticise isn't quite the right word, but it's like this bragging of, oh, yeah, I worked a 12-hour shift yesterday. And I'm only meant to do nine till five. There's this weird culture of like, oh, I'm so tired and I've been so stressed this entire week and it's become normalized. Oh, that and is it's so not normal, real. is it? That is so, so real. Um, I've heard that called grind culture. Yes. Um, and I think it is incredibly real. It's almost the badge of honor. Who's the tired, who's the most tired? Who's worked the longest hours? Yeah. Uh, I think that's pervasive everywhere in society. Um, and I think the when you have a combination of grind culture and also people who are um in that giving mode in their job. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a really dangerous recipe, actually, for people to just keep going, keep going, because I have to do it for the kids and I'm yeah. wearing it as a badge of honor. Um, and setting boundaries, prioritizing yourself, asking yourself, how can I stay well so I'm not burning out? Exactly. Um, is so, so vital. Um, so I did go on a tangent and I did want to tell you about our services for le yes. school leaders. <laughs> so if you are a school leader and this is resonating, <laughs> what I'm saying, um, we run in England and in Wales services for school leaders, um, we run peer support groups. They're online. They're facilitated by a professional coach. And um, they're really amazing spaces to get together with other school leaders who will really deeply understand all of the challenges that you're facing. Um, and it's just a space to reflect, to learn from each other, and um, to sort of jointly process the impact of the work. Yeah. And then we also offer... Um, telephone counselling support for school leaders as well oh, okay. where you will actually speak to the same counsellor build up that relationship and it gives you a space to you know process anything that is happening in the job and I think the reason this is so important is because one of the huge effects of the pandemic is teachers and education staff operating as hoovers uh, for all of the other systems in the oh, no. all of the other services in the system that are also failing yeah um so you know children's mental health services social services the health system they're all struggling right now and that all sh has shown up in schools yeah in a very very real way um and your listeners as you know safeguarding leads will absolutely know this better than anybody yes um so you know kids who are showing up maybe struggling with emotional regulation 
which affects the classroom. Maybe they've got violent situations at home. Maybe they're missing the basics, you know, food, shoes on their feet. We've all seen the media coverage of those amazing head teachers up in Leeds who were out, you know, giving food to people during the pandemic. Yeah. That's a really big and amazing um, kind of demonstration of how teachers have responded to this. But sort of in a more micro way, it's also just, you know, spending more time talking to kids that are dealing with really, really upsetting things. Definitely. And what is the impact of that on teachers who are not trained as mental health professionals? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, who are carrying the weight of a busy job plus this new and growing emotional content on top of the practical and stressful day to day. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really, really, a really big thing, actually. And I think um, it's that in itself is a recipe for burnout. If you have a, you know, a group of professionals dealing with increased emotional content who aren't trained in protecting themselves yeah. and setting the right boundaries and knowing how to navigate all of that. It's difficult as well, because like you said, there's always more and more workload being put in on teachers and education staff. I, I know... Um, one of the main things at the moment is, I think it's just in England at the moment, but they've recommended that every school needs to have a senior mental health lead by mm. 2025. And that role has gone to a lot of safeguarding leads who are now a safeguarding lead and a senior mental health lead responsible yeah. for the mental health and wellbeing culture within the school. So that's not like, that's been there for the students mm. and also putting in place policies and plans to better support their mental health that alone should be a job role that's like a single job role. Yeah. For one person who's not yeah. already doing all the rest of the safeguarding. <laughs> not teaching and safeguarding yeah. and doing mental health. Exactly. Yeah. And wow. we've also seen um, the Keeping Children Safe in Education guidance is talking about low-level concerns, mm. which is teachers reporting allegations that they feel against other teachers. Mm. And not normally in a nasty way, sometimes mm. just noticing small things that could be concerns but that as well as adding extra workload to teachers who are like, mm. oh, I don't know if I should say anything about that. What if it's nothing and I get that teacher into trouble by mentioning it? Mm. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around these sorts of things that teachers have now been told, policy, off you go. This is now a thing you have to do. You have mm. to police each other, basically. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I think it's really quite stressful for teachers at the moment. Yeah. So from your point of view, from education support, what do you think schools need to do in order to create this good culture of mental health and well-being for teachers. Mm. Yeah, well, you've used the most important word, which is culture. Yeah. Yeah, it is vital. It's um, something that has to be created in both directions, really. It's sort of top-down and bottom-up. A good culture that is psychologically safe is, is vital for you know, good staff, mental health and well-being. And so what do I mean by psychological safety? That's a culture where it's okay to ask questions, mm. you know, make small mistakes. We're all human. Um, be curious, take reasonable creative risks, um, you know, and, and rally together ultimately. Yeah. Um, a culture where you only speak when you're spoken to. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you try to work to cover up any small errors because there's a culture of blame. Yeah. All of that um, 
that feeds into a sense of stigma around talking about mental health. And we all know that, you know, you need to tackle stigma in order to really try and make it normal to talk about your mental health in the workplace. Yeah, I think as well, there's this culture, isn't there, with people matching each other's work. Yeah. So if that one person is answering emails late at night, it kind of sets precedent that everyone is going to start doing that. Yeah. And if that one person stays late, consistently everyone else is like oh well they do it maybe we should also follow suit and that kind of just keeps adding to the workload doesn't it and I don't think this happens just in the education sector I think it's a worldwide problem in every job like in every culture a hundred percent it is that pervasive grind culture isn't it competitive grind culture which is even worse and this is where it becomes um a leadership challenge yes because as a leader um Your behavior matters. People are looking to you to set the tone. And I think if you're sending emails really late at night, it does create a sense of, oh, should I be doing that? Um, So we talk a lot about, you know, leaders role modeling, good mental health practices and good well-being practices. And so that includes setting healthy boundaries around your workload, saying openly to your team, I don't I don't answer emails after yeah. seven o'clock actually. And I don't expect you to. I guess that's hard as well when you said it's the senior team mm. who are feeling the most stress at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, really challenging. But I do think it starts with example setting and a little yeah. bit of that vulnerability at leadership level as well. If you want to create a psychologically safe environment, um, leaders can start by being human themselves yes. I think. <laughs> and um you know check out our website we've got lots of uh, interesting and useful information on this but if as a leader you're acting as though you're impermeable always armored up yeah never making any mistakes always you right. need to be approachable don't you yeah. for your team to be able to come to you and say i'm struggling yeah like i need help with the workload or i need a mental health day i need some sort of support in place absolutely yeah that, and in order to do that there are just these small things that can happen during the day um you know like as a if you're a head of department running a team meeting can you say oh god guys i am um feeling a bit flat today actually how's everyone else doing Mm. um just asking the question isn't it it's like the first part just asking how are you actually doing yeah and it's I feel like it's really easy just to go oh fine yeah I'm okay yes and then like when you ask the second time like no actually how are you feeling because that that fine did not sound fine at all (laughs) (laughs) exactly and that's why the role modeling is so important yeah I'm feeling x and just normalizing I feel a bit I feel a bit stressed today I feel a bit flat I feel a yeah. bit you know what's the word how are, how are you doing and as a leader don't just lead with fine all the time if yeah. you are feeling energized and having a good day great talk about that too and what's fed into that but those day would that won't be every day yeah so you can name it if it's a flat day you yeah know? I think the normalization of it is really important because I feel like at the moment there's shame in saying like well I'm not doing okay and yeah. people feel shamed that they're it's got nothing to do with this but I've heard a lot of my personal friends say like it's a strength thing like I feel I'm not strong enough to deal with this Mm. and it's not that at all at the end of the day if you're feeling stressed you're feeling stressed and there's no shame in feeling that way but for some reason do you find that people don't want to talk about it because they do feel a bit ashamed yeah um 
shame, stigma, all these things, they're real. Our teacher wellbeing index marks um, stigma as as a concern. I think it's getting a little better in schools, but not quickly enough. Because if you think about education as sort of being in the business of people and connection, other things too, of course, uh, intellectual pursuits in the mind, but there's a huge felt component to it. And if you're all walking around with your kind of heavy armor on saying, I'm fine, I'm, you know, I'm a machine who never runs out of energy, um, that doesn't feel very um, conducive to allowing people their humanity and life is a range of experiences and emotions, the good and the bad. It's this weird idea, isn't it, in the workplace of like professionalism not being emotional? Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're human and we should be allowed to feel these emotions. Mm -hmm. And for them to be deemed non-professional seems a bit strange to me. Like who came Mm. up with that idea? Yeah. And, And people do their best work when they show up as their whole authentic selves. Yeah. And people connect better. So you build those relationships. We know that um, one of the things that got teachers through the pandemic from our own research was their colleague relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I struggle to believe that good colleague relationships are based on a presentation of perfection and, you know, untouchability in the workplace. I'm not convinced of that. Those connections come out of authenticity, shared struggle, shared uh, celebration of successes, all of the whole rich mixture of human experiences. Um, But yeah, those relationships really uh, got people through is what we're hearing. I guess that's the one thing about the pandemic. It did happen to everyone. Mm, It's not like a thing that happened just to a small group of people. Like literally everyone in the world was affected by it in some way, which I think is makes us feel a bit more connected, hopefully, that we all went through a similar thing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I do think that that's huge. We um, asked an open question in our teacher wellbeing index about exactly this. You know, what's been good about working in the last year in education and Oh, so many of the answers are just rallying together, supporting each other, yeah. coming together as a community. Um, those relationships are the um, the safety nets, the life jackets, all of those analogies yeah. um, for getting through a, a collective trauma effectively. Yeah, I think the word community is really important, like not just within organisations, but also across the country, across the world. I think it is definitely very yeah. important. Okay, um, Wonderful. Well, it was amazing talking with you. Um, What is the website for education support, if you know off the top of your head? I do. I do, I think, and I hope. Um, www.educationsupport.org.uk. And you can follow us on um, social media, particularly Twitter. uh, EdSupportUK is what we are on there. And our helpline is 08000, not 0800, but it's still free. (laughs) 08000. 562-561. Wonderful. And what we'll do is we'll put um, all the links in the show notes as well so people can access it. Brilliant. And yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been amazing talking with you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit the safeguardingcompany.com.